Oh, who is not interested in the future? Especially in the days that we live in now. We so wonder what is going to happen in the future. You know, I was, uh, happened to be watching uh, TV last night. This came on after the news. So it came on accidentally. And uh, it was really, I think it was called After the Pandemic. Now this has come from secular news here is what it was about. It was a special, I don't know, an hour long or whatever. It was propaganda is what it was. We knew all, all along. Caroline, I think I saw about 10 seconds of it. She says, I'm going to bed. And that was it. So I, I stayed up just to see what uh, they were going to be saying. Didn't really know for sure, but it sure looked like a propaganda video that they had. And it's talking about the future. Very near future. After the pandemic. Do you get this? I mean, like immediately after the pandemic. And on in to the future after that. It's like a utopia. This is man at his best. Really? <laughs> you don't want man at his best. It's like the Tower of Babel. You know, people think that they can get this world to a utopia. John Lennon wrote a song called Imagine. Right? Imagine if there's no heaven, no hell, those kind of things. And people were just, they loved that song. They had no clue what it meant, except for some kind of utopia without God. So, and they even used that song in there. Kind of interesting. But um, I will tell you what they said, and I will agree with it whenever they, I will agree with it, when they said, this world is never going to be the same. Things have changed in a short amount of time. And it will never be like what we knew. And so, as they talked about that, of course they mentioned vaccines. And they mentioned face masks. Face masks, as far as the world is concerned, could be here forever. And that's what they want. I have heard that it's at least going to go all the way into next summer where there will be mandatory face masks for everybody in this nation and probably in the world. Now, I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but I am saying this is what they kept kind of hitting on. I'm going, really? Is this what the show is about? And then they kept hitting on some other things, but they would come back to that and how they want to protect us. Jobs will never be the same. People uh, maybe won't have to go back to the office. Now that one it was not too bad at all. I kind of like that idea. What do you think, Zach? It's a pretty good idea. <laughs> uh, kind of like it to work at home. Uh, cars probably will get to a point where there may not be any cars whatsoever. That at least is the idea of AOC and company that they can take all the cars away and there will be mass transit for everyone. 
Imagine that. We won't have to buy gas anymore because they're going to shut down all the coal and all the gas. This is called the New Green Deal or whatever that is, right? And, you know, when you start thinking of that, we don't become really independent. We depend upon the government to run all of that. And they kept saying social distancing. It was like they don't want us to really be in groups anymore. And I'm wondering, is that applying to sports? Well, we see that. Is it going to continue? I wonder. I don't care. I don't care anymore about sports, what they stand for. Everything's about Black Lives Matter wherever you turn. But you can see as they projected into the future, the kind of cars that we might have might be electric. That'll get you as far to as where? Maybe Kansas City? You have to stop and charge up your battery. Uh, you know, I think about it and I go, boy, the world has a great outlook for everybody, don't they? Are they buying this? Are they eating it up? Are they liking this? I tend to think for most of them they probably are. That's a future that was kind of projected, and we're talking very near. You know, we're talking in months now, and then, and then on. We're going to be looking into the future, and we're going to be looking into the future the way that God has put it forth. And we're right at the doorstep of one of the most fascinating books of the Bible. Every book that we're in is the most fascinating to me. <laughs> It's a very interesting uh, thought as what we have come off on our last study. Do you remember the last three verses of Luke? I did not plan this to happen this way, but in the last three verses was the ascension. Christ was here on earth. He ministered. He died. He was buried. He arose. And He ascended to the heavens. Where is He at today? He's in the heavens. And then you open the book of Revelation and you see the ascended Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now I didn't plan that and I didn't really notice it until in the midst of my study this week. And I'm going, how cool. You know, uh, we had a few people ask, could we study the book of Revelation? And honestly, for many, many years I didn't really want to do it because I'd done it so many times. This... Uh, Bible study started in Taos, did the book of Revelation there, and then it wasn't too long that we did another outreach Bible study in Westphalia and wound up at Debbie's house. Sue, were you involved in that study back at one time? No? Okay. So we had you know a few people around the Westphalia area, and so we did Revelation there. We did it another time at, uh, at our church at the house in Taos, and uh, then I had done it some other places, and I think I, I'd even done it at the store because people kept wanting it. I'm going, I'm, you know, I've done that before. Let's move on. And so, for many, many years, we have not done that. So, with requests coming up and where we're at in in time, it's kind of interesting. Um, as as we look at this, we see that. We are living a time of pandemic. We hear the, about the political ramifications and we know that uh, there's chaos and there's riots going on all across the nation, all across the world, all at the same time. Socialism is 
discussed constantly. It's brought up. We hear it all the time. And people that are conservative and are conservative Christians do not want any kind of socialism, radical socialism, you name it, Marxism, socialism. We don't want any part of it. And so a lot is at stake when we come to the election that's coming up in really weeks. What is it, five weeks or something like that now? Five, six weeks? So uh, we go, let's get a fresh perspective here because that's all we hear. And I'm not here to talk about that. But it is good to get warnings and encouragement, isn't it? Here's what's going on. Here's what's happening. Um, God certainly had in mind back in the biblical days, during the time of John who wrote Revelation here, the political system, you, you will see that throughout the book of Revelation. Uh, Domitian was the leader of Rome. He was a Caesar. He was an emperor. Basically, what he wanted was the world to worship him, and he wanted to be known as Lord and God. He wanted to be the ruler of the world and for people to worship him. Now, in an age of cancel, we have a cancel culture, God canceled out what they hoped to be true. To have that one world, the Roman Empire was really developing into that. But it really didn't happen. The Lord and God is actually Jesus Christ, the Lord and our Savior, isn't He? He was not Domitian, the evil, wicked emperor. I think we can say with reference to the importance of this book that it relates to a ultimately a final world totalitarian system of an incredible scope, incredible power, with criminal violence, Satanic delusion, prominent, all throughout Revelation. That's what the book sets forth. We're not here to instill fear. Matter of fact, this book is the opposite for Christians. It gives us good news of where the world is going. Isn't it good to know that at least, okay, this is making sense somewhat, even though in my regular mind... Not my spiritual mind, but just in my human thinking, this doesn't make sense. But yes, it does when I look at it spiritually, because it is exactly what God has prescribed. And He has done this all the way through the Bible. When we were in the book of Judges, we saw the same kind of world that was going on at that time. Was that uh, a thousand years or, or more before Christ? It was going on long before that. So. We're looking, we're anticipating for Christ coming back. That's a happy anticipation. But for the way that the wicked world is going, and evil as it is, and there could be persecution on the church, there will be, even before Christ comes back, or any of this stuff really happens, but we're seeing it. The Bible promises this, the world will wax worse and worse. So what should we expect? Should we expect to get it better and better and then Christ will come back because He's pleased with how the church did and we made this a perfect place to live? 
Now that actually is a post-millennial view, and that is held not too prominently anymore. It was before World War One and then World War Two, and now you see the world the way it is. There are very few post-millennials. There, they are there, but at any rate, we know that it's going to be difficult, but we can rejoice, for it means the time is going to be very near. Christ comes back for us. So what I want to do is invite you for the next who knows how many months or years. I probably won't try to take it into years. We'll probably take it a little bit faster, but we'll see how it works. Um, I invite you to get in on the heavenly blessings. Because you will be blessed as we go through this book, and it's not what a lot of people think where they should be held in fear. Now, if you're not a believer, you should be fearing. But the book comes with a blessing. And we live to glorify God while we're here. We live and we thank the Lord for His edification in this book. The encouragement that it is for the church is a masterpiece. And it's meant to be understood, not tossed underneath the coffee table when we come to that book, right? Why don't we uh, stand and read this first section. It's really the introduction of the book, and that's as far as we're going to get today. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show to His bondservants the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Let's pray. Father, great God, as we look at what is considered to be such a difficult book, very heavy as it is, as people think, we just got a blessing. As we hear your word in this, as we read it, we understand it, and we are to heed it, to live according to your principles. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that we get to rejoice and you giving us your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. That's right. Amen. Blessing. Truly, truly. Well, the introduction, I just kind of gave an intro to an intro. But the introduction, the first three verses, actually is uh, really an introduction in itself. It's a lot better than I could do. I just gave you my human perspective. Now we'll let God take over in introducing us this great book. What's the title? Well, my Bible says Revelation. What's your title say in your Bible? It might say Revelation of John, the Saint Divine, right? Something like that. Do you, does anybody have that where it says the Revelation of John? The Revelation we do. To yeah. John. The Revelation to John. Okay. Revelation of Jesus Christ. And to be honest with you, that's really 
what I would say, the correct time. Because that's really what this is all about. It's uh, John is the one who brings it. So it's not that that's wrong. By the way, those titles that you have there are not inspired that you have at the top there. Or, uh, I think in uh, maybe uh, the Latin Bible, uh, the Vulgate, I think it, it says the Apocalypse of the St. John, the Divine. I've seen it that way too. And apocalypse really is Revelation. Apocalypse, same thing. But the title is Apocalypsis. It means uncovering. It means an unveiling. Taking off blinders. Taking off the covers. The theme is none other than Jesus Christ. And one can say, what Revelation is about Jesus Christ? Absolutely. That's really what it, most people think about all the signs and all the things that's going on, the details. Don't get lost in the details. Keep looking at Jesus Christ. And we say that on every book because that's really what it's about. When we were in the Gospel of Luke, who did we really pinpoint all the way through? There are a lot of characters, but who was it? Christ. Genesis. Ultimately, it's about Christ. Just been a little bit veiled in the Old Testament. But the New Testament unveils Christ. And here we have an unveiling of Christ. Uh, visions and symbols are going to be made much more understandable. Many people get caught up in those details. In chapters 1 through 3, you will see Christ, you will see uh, the exalted priest. King in the midst of uh, the church, the churches. In chapter 2 and 3, particularly, Christ is in the midst there, discipline, judgment, ministering in it to His church there. Chapters 4 and 5, we see Christ as the glorified Lamb. The Lion and the Lamb. He's in the midst of the throne. We see Him at the throne room. We see Him in heaven in chapters 4 and 5. 6 through 18, heavy tribulation going on in the world. The lion is still in the midst of the nations of the world. He's in the midst judging the nations. Then in chapter 19, we see the return of Christ as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, right? Chapter 20, we see that, and in chapter 19 actually, the heavenly bridegroom that has the wedding supper with his marriage partner. Us. Marriage supper of the Lamb. 21 and 22, the last two chapters, Christ is the light in the midst of eternal glory. He is the light in the New Jerusalem, the holy city, New Jerusalem. And so, don't get caught up in all the signs and everything that's in there. Get caught up in the revelation of Jesus Christ, because that's really who we are to be seeing and looking at. It's about Him. What's the importance of this book? Why are we doing it? Well, for one thing, it's a climax to the Word of God as far as the compilations. This is where God. Quit revealing 
as far as the Word of God was concerned. We have everything we need. Amen. We have a closed canon. There's no need for Him to give us any more written Word. We have more than we can handle anyway. It's all right here. It's a climax. It's a fitting conclusion as we look at the Gospel of Luke, all the Gospels. You know, we think about that, the life of Christ, the story of the Gospel, and then the the climax comes in the Lord Jesus Christ being revealed here. But in between, then, of course, Acts is where you have the apostles going out giving the gospel that Christ told them to do. And then you have great doctrine throughout Paul's epistles. And also, the doctrine also implies, and not only implies, but commands us to be separate from the world, to live a sanctified life, to live a life that honors this person, Christ. And then we get to our revelation here. The Son of God. It's all about Him. That's important, isn't it? And so we get to Revelation. It's kind of a hallelujah chorus to the redeemed, the Redeemer, the Lamb of God, as we sing to Him. There's a, also a, the importance as God is giving a historical view here as far as He's concerned. And it's finally going to come to a culmination where there is a final one world system of power with violence, satanic delusion, ultimate triumph for Christ and His church that will finally be seen and manifested in the biggest of ways. We look to that. That's how important it is. Who's the author? Well, the author is Apostle John. He's the one that writes this down. The early church fathers, they attest to the fact it was the Apostle John. He wrote it. He was hailed the authorship of this book. It was much later that doubts started rising and people said John didn't write Revelation. We don't even take time to even search that out. We just take the Word of God and we realize that this is John, the Apostle that we know throughout the Gospels. He is found on an Aegean island of Patmos. It's a rocky island off the coast of Asia Minor, pretty close to Ephesus. John had been a pastor at the Ephesian church. Ephesus the book of Ephesians. Paul wrote that. That is one of my favorite all-time books. The grand doctrine that's presented in there in the first three chapters and then how to live it in the four through six. There were a lot of people that pastored at Ephesus. John was one of them. Polycarp was later. Polycarp was an early church father that was right underneath John the Apostle. Paul had taught there. And then several other people that we know. So, this was kind of in that area. He was sent to the quarries at that island. Irenaeus was an early church father. He wrote in the 2nd century. He said, boy, that's going back there. Yeah. Right at the end of the 1st century is when John wrote this. 
Irenaeus is in the second century and he said John wrote it. And he said it was in the 14th year that he wrote it of Domitian, the emperor. Now, world history and the historians that are secular, they all will say Domitian was an emperor at that time. Why is it they have to doubt whenever Christians say certain things about the Bible that was written at that time or maybe a little before it? Somewhere in that area. Uh, anyway, he probably wrote it in 95 A.D. If Irenaeus is right, in the 14th year of this Emperor Domitian, because he went from 81 to 96, that's 15 years, in the 14th year would be 95 A.D. That is very interesting. Keep that in mind. If that's in 95 A.D., and I think the majority of people today will go along with that, of that date. Keep it in your mind. Now, the emperor wanted people to say this, Dominius et Deus Noster. What's that? Our Lord and God. That's what he wanted them to confess to him. If they didn't do it, they were punished severely. And so goes the early church. Domitian was an evil, wicked ruler. And Christians were severely persecuted. Domitian sent John to the Isle of Patmos. That's why he's there. He didn't go there by choice. But God actually sent him there to write the book of Revelation. That is the best way to look at it. But looking at it from the world, Domitian sent him there in that great Aegean Sea on that island, small island. And here's another thing about the importance of Revelation. It's connected with the Old Testament. That's important. It's not off by its own. In Genesis, the earth is created. In Revelation, the earth passes away and you get a new creation. In Genesis, there is the first rebellion. In Genesis, there is the last, or in Revelation, there is the last rebellion. In Genesis, sin entered the human race. In Revelation, sin is abolished. For all believers, there's no more sin, no more sorrow. Curse. The curse was found in Genesis. The curse is removed in Revelation. The dominion of man was removed after sin. The dominion will be restored back to God's people. The book of Daniel probably one of the most prominent books that has so much to do with Revelation. Revelation helps you to read Daniel because Daniel was told to shut up the vision of prophecy. He couldn't understand it and he was not meant to. Revelation comes along and does a lot of what Daniel does and brings to light. It reveals Christ, reveals what the rest of the future is about.
This is a great high priest who ascended into heaven. That's where he's at. And you know what? He's the king. He's the advocate. He's the great high priest who in the book of Luke we saw walking the dusty trails, the dusty paths of the land of Israel. And then he's the same one today, right now, who sits at the right hand of the Father. That's the importance, again, of Revelation as it shows Christ in heaven, exalted. Another thing that uh, we need to put forth is the blessing. The only book in the Bible that starts with a blessing like this, there's blessings all over the Bible. Promises and blessings. A lot of promises in this, but this promise, er, this blessing is blessed as he reads, and here's the words of the prophecy, and heeds the things which are written here. It says a lot. You want to get blessed? Well, I'll tell you what, read any book of the Bible, you'll get blessed. But it actually says it here because I think a lot of people would have been very fearful. I know one time my mom, I was talking about Revelation, and that's what got me into the Word of God. And I was so excited about it at the time Carolyn and I were living out on the road and we were playing our music thing. And I started reading the Bible and I picked up, uh, Revelation sounds fascinating. I never could understand that, so I read it. And I still didn't understand it, so I read it again, I read it again, and then went out and got some books. Next thing I know, this is really incredible. There's a lot of stuff here that's involving the book of Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and you go on. And by the way, Genesis, so I started reading the rest of the Bible for a change. You know what? I thank the Lord for it. Because that's how I got interested. He could have used any number of books. Romans. Later on, I really fell in love with Romans. And then Ephesians. They're all good. But right here it says blessed. And that to me takes on a personal connotation. It really says something to me. And if you've read it, you've studied it, you've been blessed. We're going to have nothing but blessing here week after week after week after week. By the way, keep praying that we have freedom to worship as we do. That is a blessing. Don't take it for granted ever. Because I will tell you, there will come a time when I'm sure that we will be challenged on where or when or how we're going to worship we live here long enough, maybe not. I'm just saying that we will have to have a plan on how we're going to continue, but I'm not going to stop. You guys going to stop? That's right. That's what we want to hear. So, we all want to be blessed, don't we? There are different views of the book of Revelation. There's the preterist view. Preterist view is Really, it means past. Preterism. It means past, if you take it in the, the Greek. And it means, and there's a, and I have to be fair, there is a full preterism, and there's a partial preterism. A full preterism is, I think, proclaimed even by partial preterists that it is a heresy indeed. Because it says every bit of revelation. 1, chapter 1 through 22 
All has been fulfilled. It's already happened in the past. At 70 AD, it was done. Christ came back. That's a major problem. We cannot believe in full preterism because the history of the church has never believed in full preterism and most will uh, call it a heresy. There is partial preterism. I do not call it a heresy. It's differing from the way that I would take it, but it's saying that almost everything happened at 70 A.D. We still look to Christ coming back literally, although they say at 70 A.D. Christ did appear in the conquering. He was in the sky, but He didn't come all the way to the earth. And so some of them would say that. Um, we know there's a lot to 70 A.D. and I don't write that off because we studied in Luke 21 about that. It had a lot to do with it, but also there's a completion of it. Remember, what you see in Scripture a lot is a partial fulfillment where it's leading ultimately to a total fulfillment of everything. Christ on the cross accomplished all the work of salvation, but He didn't accomplish uh, his second coming yet. We, we look for that to come. There are a lot of things to happen before that. So, that would be preterism. Another one would be the historical view, which I believe many reformers, and there's a lot to it. It's, it's interesting, and there's probably some, some truths to it. it. It's said that there are many parallels between the truths in the book of Revelation and things that have happened in church history. So it would be looking back at particular individuals that arose and rose above the normal person, different nations as such, and that would be the historical view. Uh, it was really in the light of Western European church history, and so it would forget the rest of church history, whether it be in Asia or in Islamic countries or in China or whatever. It was just basically in, in the, the West. So it would be forgetting about the rest. Uh, divergence of, of opinions, like I say, regarding what symbols represent and characters among historicists, and there is with everybody. We're not going to be able to understand. We're not going to try to make every little symbol make exactly what it is. We're not going to take the, the newspaper, or, and nobody reads a newspaper anymore, and there's no reason unless it is a good one. Is there a good one out there? I think there are a few. But the, the normal newspapers that we look at today is highly slanted, just like the other media on television. And uh, so, you know, just there's a lot of different opinions. Allegorical is another one, which means it has nothing to do with reality. It has nothing to do with anything dealing with future. What it is is an eternal conflict between good and evil. And yes, I agree with that. It is. It is a, 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 the, the eternal aspect is as long as mankind is here. And I can't disagree with that at all in that sense. Um, but it betrays the prophetical nature of the book in that it doesn't bring it to a close in the sense of even Christ coming back. It would be said, Christ came into your heart. And so they don't even want to mention second coming. And also, prophetic scriptures in the Old Testament really uh, don't have any weight to 
revelation and you really can't interpret those Old Testament passages and so therefore just kind of leave them alone or what happens is that you get an abundance just like any other view an abundance of interpretations so allegorical it can mean whatever you want that can run into troubles though just like I say just like anything can though but it's based on principles so you know principles are good and we're going to take practical lessons out of this, aren't we? So, you know, I don't downplay and make fun of all of these. And you can be a Christian and believe in these. You can be a very strong Christian and believe in these. But there is the other aspect, the fourth one here, is the futuristic aspect. Basically, from chapter 4 through 18, or actually through the rest of the book, really, um, it... it it will take a view of, yes, 70 A.D. had a lot to do with it. But it goes far beyond that. And it was not a complete fulfillment of that time. So the idealist will look at principles and you know you have the historicist who will look at as different things that happened as what's being defined by revelation. And you have essential prophetical nature but what I prefer is to take this book like I do any other book and to do a hermeneutics with it because what happens with the other views, hermeneutics is thrown out the window and all the other books that they're very good at, some of my favorite theologians, down through history and all the way up to today, some are, you know, they're much better thinkers than I am. Who am I, right? But I rely upon a lot of other thinkers down through the years, too. And I don't try to rely on, on myself, except for trying to interpret Scripture. How do you interpret? Well, you use the rules, and all my favorite theologians do use hermeneutical rules. But it comes to this one, it's like it doesn't count now. But you're to take this... In a hermeneutical way, it means to apply the rules of interpreting. It means to take it literally. It means to take it grammatically. And it means to take it historically. Those are rules of interpretation. Grammatical would be dealing with the Greek language. Literal would say, here's what it says, here's what it means. Now I know you're going to say, yeah, but what about these all these symbolic meanings? And... A symbol is a symbol. A symbol stands for what is real, however. Um, anyway, the plain sense makes sense. And that's how we take it. We know there are difficulties, and we do have to wrestle with it. And so it goes. We have to wrestle with the whole Word of God. You ever notice that? Almost any chapter that you pick up, there's going to be different, agree, uh, different uh, understandings of it. Different people are going to understand different things sometimes. But plain sense makes sense. So seek no other sense but what is there. But we don't espouse a wooden literalism and we don't throw out any of scriptures. So when it does say that Jesus is the vine, we don't take it as Jesus growing up on a wall, you know, in that, that plant or whatever it is. But we do take it that it is representing something that is real. Something that is literal. So there are interpretable realities that would be involved in Revelation. What's going to happen? The only thing is, is what we're going to do is we're
we're not going to try to make everything what we we're going to say it's it's you know it's it means tanks or it means this and that S- certain things I think we can safely say it could be this. Working in the future, we don't have any other books to uh, interpret it other than some in the Old Testament, but a lot of those same things they use symbols too. It fits the chronological outline. What's the chronological outline? Look in chapter 1, look in verse 19 of number 1. Therefore, write the things which you have seen. And the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. How many points did you see in that outline? Three. Past, present, future. Somebody says, give me an outline of Revelation. You go, past, present, future. That's what I know. That's what's there. And so John is given that from the Lord of the the outline. So it it is involving um, past. It is involving present. It is involving future. Uh, Alexandrian interpretation uses allegorical origin then used allegorical the early church fathers Augustine used an allegorical approach and it went right on into the Roman Catholic Church and then when you had the Reformation that allegorical approach was still there that's why many of our favorite Reformation theologians would take an Amil view let's just be honest with you there are some in the Reformed faith who um, believe in a pre-mill view, which means Christ will come back just for when the millennium starts. Amil says that we are in the millennium right now. We have been since 70 A.D. or since the time of Christ. We're in the latter days, no matter what we look at it. But the, this is the millennial to them. Really, there's no literal millennial that we think about. That would be the view of most of your Reformation theologians. Luther didn't even touch Revelation. He's one of my favorite theologians. I love Martin Luther and the Reformation. But he didn't even think that it belonged in the Bible. That's remarkable, isn't it? John Calvin, of all people, quote from him all the time, one of the greatest theologians ever, wrote a systematic theology called Calvin's Institutes, among any other books and Famous, an amazing theologian. Like I say, how can he not be one of your favorites? We get most of our understanding from him because the Reformation theologians of the day borrow from Calvin who borrowed from Augustine. But Calvin didn't even write a commentary on it. Luther and Calvin, they were so busy with what salvation was and what it was all about as they recovered those truths. They didn't have time to get into Revelation. So I defend them in that sense. Um, you know, Luther would say things off the top of his head sometimes that really get him into trouble. We know people like that. That's the kind of personality that he would have. He would have probably been a great president for us. Seriously. He didn't take any guff off of anybody. Sometimes you've got to have those. So don't let me run down Luther, folks, because I, you know, as far as a man is concerned, he's right way up here. So was Calvin and all the other guys. So, with that, what's the message of the book? 
H.B. Sweet says this. It's profound. He spent quite a bit of time on what, what the message of the book is. He says, in form, this is an epistle. Never forget that it's a letter to seven churches circulated around Asia Minor. In form, it is an epistle containing an apocalyptic prophecy. Apocalyptic meaning it's full of signs and symbols that are revealing uh, something. It's a prophecy. It's pointing to the future. But he says, in spirit, an inner purpose is pastoral. Yes, it's prophecy. Don't get lost in the prophecy. Get lost in who Christ is and then how He works in our lives. Warren Wiersbe, he would be a futurist. He said this though, don't get lost in the details, but try to see the big picture and keep in mind that John wrote this book to encourage believers who were going through persecution. Oh, do we need that? Every generation of Christians has had its Antichrist and Babylon and the hope of the Lord's return has kept those saints going when the going was tough. That's Wiersbe says, end of quote. Now, yes, it's speaking of future, but present and past. But as far as the future, there's hope for tomorrow. Listen to this. But that hope for tomorrow is meant to give you strength for today. It's not just the future that I'm looking to and things are going so I can't enjoy it here. No. We have strength for today. Right now we can live this life as our freedoms are being threatened severely. Where do you get your strength? God's in control of history. That's what it says to me, whether it be the past, present, future. He's in control of this. He's even written it down saying all the way up to the time that I come back. And even more so. He even tells about the new heavens and the new earth. That you don't get those kind of details anywhere else. And that's how he closes it. Doesn't that make sense? It gives me great security. Christ, what's going on? The central idea we all agree on. All Christians agree on. Christ will return. Sometime in the future... Every Christian believes that and I can fellowship with any Christian who really believes that and His Word and they desire to believe Him and do what He says. It's a welcome sight to His people. Isn't it? That's why the future that He can have and write it for us sets us in the right frame of mind. Now we can say, hey, I don't know what's going on for sure here, but I've got a real idea that, yeah, I do know what's going on. Because he said things like this will go on. And it'll finally get to a point where it goes way beyond like no other time ever. All Christians have gone through kind of persecutions. Maybe we haven't. Maybe we might. We have hope for tomorrow. And what about today? Strength for today. Is there a song that has those <laughs> lyrics in there? Yes. 
Now, let's get to part two. We have two parts today. Second part, basically, is what we just went over. And what we're going to do is go through the text of those three verses, and almost everything that I said already is going to be there. Only I'll add a few more things to each one. Let's turn, it's just a few moments here, okay? There's a vantage point here for understanding the rest of the book. If you get these three verses, it will give you a foundation from here on out. It's funny. Some of the people sometimes that say, hey, can you do Revelation? And you know what? Invariably, they're never here. <laughs> I don't know how many times it is. Somebody said, can you do this book? And they're not there. No. When you do <laughs> so, Well, that means if I do it, you won't be here, right? Oh, no, I'll be there. I'll be there. I know who they are. I will address them. Well. <laughs> you heard it. <laughs> I'll get him later. Yeah. Test. Okay. Revelation, Apocalypsis, we covered that. Unveiling, uncovering. It's someone who's made visible here. It's someone, it's Christ. It's the shining forth of a person for all to see. It's the appearing, the arrival, it's the manifestation, taking the covers back and seeing Christ in His essence. That's what we get to see in the book of Revelation. It reveals Christ shining forth in His glory. When we get to that part about the vision of the Son of Man, it is staggering what John saw, who he saw, how he saw it. We'll be covering that. This book also reveals warnings for the church about its sin. Chapters 2 and 3 submit not only for those particular churches but historically, it's really meant for all churches at all times, isn't it? So there's that historical view that comes into play. And also the allegorical view, right? That all kind of plays in there. It reveals instructions to the church about holiness. It reveals the overcoming strength of Christ. The triumph of Christ. The triumph of believers. It's what it reveals. It reveals the career of Antichrist, the final battle of Armageddon, the alignment of the nations, and how there is a fighting of the forces of evil. So it's not a hiding. It's a revealing, a revelation, an unveiling. Most of the time, the Gospels, the glory, the majesty, the deity, the wonder, the marvel of the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, whenever He was on earth, He was veiled in human flesh. It was a glimpse, Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John saw that glimpse. But there was still the veil there. They, they didn't understand the death, burial, resurrection, the ascension. They didn't know that. But all those were veiled while He was here in the flesh. The incarnate deity 
right out of a Christmas song, wasn't it? Filled in flesh. The majesty, the wonder. He was covered in flesh. He was born in a stable. He grew up in poverty. He knew what it was like to hunger and thirst. He knew what pain was like. He knew what death was like. He tasted it. He took it on. Veiled in flesh. And here's the Lamb who is the Lion. What's the theme? We already said that, didn't we? I keep coming back to this because this is what this book is about. The priest king, the lamb, the lion, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the bridegroom, the bright morning star. What's the source of the book? Well, we read here, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave Him. Have you ever taken that apart? God the Father revealed to the Son. He gave it to Him. But the future, His future, how, you know, how He was glorified, the consummation in God's eternal plan, God gave that to Him to show to His bondservants. First of all, who are the recipients? Christ is... God sent the message by Christ, then through an angel, as we read here, to John, who then gives it to the bond servants. Listen to this. We are eavesdropping on the gift of this book that was given from the Father to the Son. We get to get in on it. Praise that God the Father gave this to His Son. It's for Him. God is the source. Jesus is the primary recipient. It tells of the awesome, glorious, wonderful story of what's going to happen. And the obedient Son is going to come back in full glory. So John, we know, is receiving this. The angel gives it to him. To the slaves, and when we say uh, servants there, which is what my version has, yours probably does too, it means the doulos, or slaves. We are slaves of Christ. Boy, that's not popular today. And if you said that amongst a group of people, I'm sure they would cause all sorts of havoc, wouldn't they? Might even burn the place down. (laughs) But we are slaves of Jesus Christ. So, we serve Him as slaves out of devotion. We love Him. What a privilege it is to be a doulos all throughout Scripture. We are called servants of Christ. Slaves of Christ, really. Doulos. Prophecy, it says here, show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Things which. So it's looking ahead here. Hasn't taken place. It's interesting, 
the 70 AD thing, which I go back to a lot, and it is a monumental time in history where Israel really was pretty well destroyed. Some of them survived, obviously. But Jerusalem was burnt down. Titus, the leader of the Roman army, of course, did that. That's 70 AD. <clears throat> Great picture of what's going to happen in the end. Um, that was 70 AD. If this book was written in 95 AD, you have to think about that. Because if it was written after the fact of the matter, and he's saying, I'm going to show you the things to come. Why wouldn't he say, here are the things that happened? But John is getting something that has not happened. I think that is very instrumental in how one looks at this as looking as a futuristic book, things that will happen. Matter of fact, most of the Bible has a lot of things about the future. Isaiah has a lot of things. Matter of fact, all the prophets were looking to who? Christ. That was looking ahead. Hundreds of years ahead. That was all prophecy. People don't have any problem with that. They'll say, yes, that was prophesied to be true. But then when they come to seven, or, or even the cross, they say, well, it's all fulfilled there. It's all done now. Well, I haven't gone to, I haven't gone to heaven yet. <laughs> well, as far as God is concerned, it is done. And, and yes, I agree with that, as far as God is concerned. But if it's 95 AD, that's what we're getting at here. I think that is a legitimate approach to look at it, then that is one of the biggest reasons why I would say it's futuristic. Not all people will say it was written ninety-five. It was written it had to be written before seventy AD, and so they'll keep moving it back. But John was referred to as the writer of this by Irenaeus in early in the second century. So Fascinating. That's some of the things that really started grabbing at me whenever I was looking at that and I'm going, how do you approach this? What is this? So that was helpful. That was very, very helpful, very revealing to me, as well as others. But if you take those other views, you have to move it back before 70 AD. It's because he's saying these are the things that will, will happen. It's worth looking at. And then he says the things which must soon take place. Soon, the word is takos, takos, uh, tachometer. And some of the guys go, yeah, yeah, all right. You have a tachometer in your car, maybe. You know, it's really revolutions per minute. Uh, I'm sure Tony probably knows exactly what I'm talking about, or Zach, or Stan, maybe uh, Michael. You have a tack in your truck. Some of you ladies probably have it too, you know. But, you know, they were always interested. I know, at least, you know, guys that were car owners and they bought them like they were teenagers, you know, they always had to have that tack. It's, it's really about measuring velocity. It's revolutions per minute. Seems to be best to see here as, as you look at other texts that use that word uh, must soon take place rather than, uh, it is a quickness, but really it's the idea of imminence that it will happen and it can happen any time now that's what it's taught that's how, how quick can it be it could be now it could be in the next second whoop that's over how about five seconds <laughs> imminence it's talking about living in expectancy and really that's what Jesus has already said Paul says to live your life expecting him to come at any moment 
right? You know, live like He could come back any moment. And that's an imminency. In 1 Thessalonians, it's assumed that Jesus could come back at any time. As Paul wrote, he said, we, us, our. Paul expected Christ to come back in his lifetime. Or at least he could say he could. We say that He can come back in our lifetime. We don't know that. We could be wrong, but we're saying what? He could. Is there anything wrong with that? No. And we could even say, in the next few minutes, He could come back. Because it makes one want to live a life that's in urgency. To live it as if any moment it could happen. Imminency. Go to Revelation 22.12. 22.12 We're pretty close at the end. Behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. In verse 20, I think you get this again. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Um. He hasn't come back yet. Some would say, well, quickly would mean that the 70 AD would be there, but it's not just a matter of little time thing, but it's talking about an imminency, an expectancy, and that's what the idea of the Greek word there would be. And as we look at uh, other t- texts, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Same thought right there. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. He says, here's what you do now. The end of all things is coming quickly. It's just that we've seen it. Or it's going to be soon. It's going to be near. We get that quite frequently. And the idea is the same thing here using this Tacos. Uh, the angel delivers it to the human agent John. Revelation twenty-two eight. I John and the one who heard and saw these things as last chapter of the Bible and of the book, right? And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. So, John is the human agent. There's a testimony. It's in 22.16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things. To witness a testimony, a truth for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. I, Jesus, say this to you. He's the first and the last. He's the Alpha and the Omega as verse 13 says. I'm the Alpha and Omega. This is the same one who says, I, Jesus, having testified these things. My angel did that. By the way, the last thing here in our Revelation 1.3 basically says, Blessed is he who reads... One more thing, a blessing. This is a book with a blessing. There are seven Beatitudes or seven blessings in Revelation. 
we get the first one right here. Blessed is the one who reads, right? Uh, chapter 14, verse 13 says, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Those martyred for the cause of the Lord Jesus are blessed right there. Chapter 16, verse 15, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. The clothing of Christ. Be, you're blessed by Him. You watch us for Him. You, you know, Who are faithful until the coming of the Lord Jesus are blessed. Chapter 19, verse 9. The marriage supper of the Lamb. He says, right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who's that? That's us. We're blessed. Chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is He that has part in the first resurrection on such the second death has no power. Chapter 22, verse 7. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And the last one, 22, 14. The ending blessing. Blessed are they that do His commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Zach read earlier out of Psalm 24. Open up the gates. Ultimately, that's what that is. For salvation, we it's opened up. And then ultimately, that's new Jerusalem. We walk into the gates in glorified bodies. Man, is this a sad book? This is really what we're going to be talking about through here. We're not going to get lost in all the details. We're going to be looking at Christ. And then it says, and it finishes off here at the end of verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessing. Hearing the words of the prophecy and heeding the things which are written in it, that means doing it. It's talking about it in a very responsive sense. Not just hearing by the ears. Not just listening, but what? James said, doing the Word. Doers of the Word. They're listening with responsive hearts of faith. A lot of people, are, I've seen, get interested in the book of Revelation. And you know what? Their lives mean nothing compared to what the Bible is talking about. They get, they'll, they'll argue and argue up and down the book of Revelation, but they don't care anything about the rest of the book. They don't even really care about what really Revelation is about. Who is Christ? Heed it. Do it. It's about living this Christian life while we're here now. The very last thing which are written in it, and he says it again, for the time is near. Same idea. Be ready. Be alert. Be watchful. What did Jesus keep saying about before He comes back? The same thing. The time is near. He's, wow, it's been 2,000 years. How can it be near? Here we are. It could be. It's very near. It's imminent. Revelation 22 
We close with this. We've just gone from the first book of Revelation to the last book. That's our study of Revelation, folks. And we'll move to another study next week. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent His angel to show to His bondservants the things which must soon take place. Verse 10, And He said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. It's open. It's been revealed. The book is opened. We can understand. Thank you for joining this morning. I'm excited. Be excited as you live this life, folks. Whatever you hear out there, if it's of the world, don't pay attention to it. Listen to what God says. That's what it's about. we got great promises. We are going to say a prayer and then we're going to finish off with a blessing song. Dear great God, thank You for this Word, the Word of Truth. Jesus Christ is what this is all about. May we focus on Him, Lord, and get a view that's even bigger than ever before. As I read Revelation, Lord, I read it even differently than I ever did the first time or the tenth or the hundredth time. Lord, there's new and fresh thoughts here. Your Word is timeless. And Your Spirit keeps teaching us the depth of Your Word. We want to see Christ in His glory in the ultimate way. Thank You, Father, for giving it to Your Son who gives it to us. In Jesus' name, Amen.